0: Hello, everyone. It is time to read the Des Moines Register for this Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. All material heard on iris is intended solely for the use of Iowans with a print disability. I'm Dennis May, and my partner at the microphone for the next 90 minutes is Barb DeHack. For the first hour, we'll cover local and national news from the Des Moines Register and USA Today. Our second hour starts with birthdays and obituaries, followed by opinion, sports, and lifestyle news. We'll wrap up our broadcast with Dear Abby. Support for today's readings comes from the Des Moines Register and donations from individuals and listeners like you. Learn how you can keep the volunteer voices of Iris going strong at iowaradioreading.org. And now let's take a look at the weather and the headlines from today's Des Moines Register. Our statewide AccuWeather weather forecast calls for a warm day today with plenty of sun, pleasant in the south and near Des Moines. The winds from the southwest at 48 miles per hour and mainly clear tonight. The forecast for Des Moines calls for a high today of 66 with a low of 48, again sunny and pleasant today. And on Thursday, a high of 69 with a low of 30, increasingly getting windy. Across the area, pleasantly warm with plenty of sun. Great day to be outside, it says. Turning to the front page of today's Des Moines Register and our headlines, Accessible Art, Iowa Artists' New Work Allows People with Disabilities to Experience It. China Z arranges an Iowa reunion. President Old Friends to meet in San Francisco. Excuse me. And the Libs of TikTok post leads to extra security at Des Moines Public Schools. And here's Barb now to get us started with today's Des Moines Register.
1: Thank you, Dennis. Accessible art. Local artist and advocate Jill Wells has unveiled the first of her 3D mural models, which depict a scaled down piece of art meant to bridge access and engagement to art. These 3D mural models ensure every person, including people with visual impairments can experience a piece of art. Now, with what might otherwise be an expansive mural on a wall, people can instead experience it in the form of a plaque that they can touch and feel, bringing the wall art to life. With several more on the horizon, Wells believes pieces like the 3D mural models will become commonplace both in outdoor and indoor spaces. I've seen the history behind it to feel that there's evidence that this will continue. Wills said, "I'm a very persistent person. I don't give up on things." (coughs) I think that there's other people that I've met in my life that are very similar to me. All of us are advocating for this. It does something. It proves the need for it. Wills has spent the past year as the first artist fellow at the Harkin Institute for Public Policy and Citizen Engagement at Drake University. The 3D mural model project is a result of her time as a fellow, she said. Will's responsibilities as a Harkin Institute fellow were directly connected to the strategic plan she created, detailing her perspective on how the arts could impact policy, enacted through mentorship work and exploring data that drives change through her Blackboard Sensory Project, a project that began before her fellowship, she said. The Blackboard Sensory Project encompasses the work borne out of Will's research regarding accessibility in art. More specifically, where the work is, what the work is, what the materials are, and how you access them, how the work is created, and who the work is created with and for, she said. The Blackboard Sensory Project researches innovative technologies that allow every person to access art. It's also directly connected to her 3D mural models. Earlier in 2023, Wells was invited to speak at the Zero Project conference held at the United Nations office in Vienna, Austria. The Zero Project is a research-driven initiative that seeks to eliminate all barriers that exist for people with disabilities, according to its mission. She and the artists there discussed art in public spaces and how it reaches people who may feel ostracized from traditional spaces that display art. The artists at this conference were involved in producing plaques that Wills realized were missing in Iowa and sought to bring home. Denise Bean, your services librarian at the Iowa Library for the Blind and Disabled, previously worked with Wills to collaborate on programming. Bean, staff, and library visitors had the opportunity to experience the 3D mural model one afternoon, courtesy of Wells. Bean, unfamiliar with something like a 3D mural model, called the experience positive as people gave Wills their perspective and engaged with the work. She also joined Wills for an activity at King Elementary School in Des Moines inside the sensory wellness space that Wills helped create in addition to a tactile mural, the same mural that's getting a 3D mural model. Seeing everyone in that space just engage with it like they j- did just makes it so appreciative of the time that went into making a mural that really extends past what happened that day in that room, Bean said, and then making it interactive by being able to touch it and explore it. I think it's fantastic, and I look forward to seeing more opportunities like this in our community. What is a 3D mural model? A photo is taken of a mural and scanned through computer software. It's 3D printed and scaled down in size, allowing for people to feel the mural and what it depicts. The amount of detail a leaf has, for example, or the height of something on a plaque, can all be adjusted, Will's explained. The result is a 3D mural model. Will's first 3D mural model is a depiction of the tactile wall mural and sensory room green space completed earlier this year inside King Elementary at 1849 Forest Avenue in Des Moines. The plaque, which measures 30 by 35 centimeters, contains a 3D printed image and a raised QR code that can be scanned via a phone to experience an audio description and a video of the work. There's a Braille transcription as well. The 3D mural model is created in partnership with the Zero Project and Street Art Belgrade, according to Wells. What does this 3D mural model depict? The 3D mural model depicts the tactile mural located at King Elementary, a 40-by-10-foot piece that celebrates nature with large green leaves and birds and butterflies flying around. If you're thinking about an individual who is living with visual impairment, specifically blindness, to take that all in through touch is very challenging, she said of the wall mural. Wells, in partnership with Des Moines-based Be Well Foundation, began this project through a survey that asked students, guardians, and staff questions on topics such as what helps them to feel calm, Wells said. Several students then participated in an art workshop and, using different crafts, built miniature tactile renditions of the mural and sensory wellness space at the school. That workshop informed the completion of the mural and wellness space design, Wells said. This project was completed in July, she said. The sensory wellness space at the school includes a wellness window or a break area complete with a large window, sensory pillows, and cubbies of fidget toys, meditation cards, educational games, and more, Well said. How can I experience a 3D mirror model? Will's unveiled the new work on Monday. Additional opportunities to experience a 3-D mural model at King Elementary via tours with Wells and in collaboration with the school will be available for people who donate to Wells' 3-D mural model project. People can visit Wells' website for additional information about donations. Wells is also planning a 3-D mural model at Des Moines Live Entertainment venue, XBK Live, which will depict her mural, Black Renaissance. The second site will be at Evelyn K. Davis Park, where she worked with artists Marisa Hernandez and Ciracaso Garcia on a mural this summer. She's fundraising for a total of four 3D mural models in addition to the one at King Elementary. Quote, When I think about the other two sites, I would love for individuals in the community that would be interested in having their work be a, a site for one of them, Will said.
0: Our next article from the front page of today's Des Moines Register, China Z arranges an Iowa reunion. A president has old friends to meet in San Francisco. California may be the setting, but when old friends meet around the dinner table on Wednesday night, the relationship between China and Iowa will take center stage. Chinese President Xi Jinping is arriving in San Francisco for an Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum where he will meet with President Joe Biden and other leaders from the region. But for dinner, he'll be gathering by his invitation with a group he has called his old friends, the Iowans who hosted him when his county-level official and chemical engineer from Hubei province visited the state nearly 40 years ago to get a view of American agriculture. The meeting will come at a time of growing tension between the two largest economies in the world, Republican presidential candidates have routinely denounced the Chinese Communist Party that Xi leads as the number one threat to the United States. Biden also has had harsh words for Xi, calling him a dictator in June. One of the old friends who will be at the dinner is former U.S. Ambassador to China, Terry Branstad, who was in his first term as Iowa governor when he met with Xi during the 1985 visit. He said enmity enmity toward China is rising well beyond his, beyond the U.S. borders. Not only in America, but it's all over the world, really. And it started really with COVID and the fact that the Chinese were not honest or forthright with the fact that COVID started in China. And consequently, I've read different things that the opinion of China in other parts of the world, whether it's the United States, Japan, Australia, or Europe, it's not nearly what it used to be, Branstad said. We all thought Xi Jinping would be a reformer like his father, with further opening up, and it's gone the other way, with him becoming more authoritarian, and he's consolidated power and given more authority to the Communist Party, he said. Still, he said, the relationship between Iowa and China endures, deeply rooted in a common interest, agriculture. Agriculture is very important, and China can can't really feed all of themselves, especially protein. And consequently, one of the things that's grown from our relationship is a dramatic increase in trade, especially in agricultural goods like pork and soybeans, and now also beef and chicken, Branstant said. The U.S. Department of Agriculture reported that in fiscal year 2022, agricultural exports to China topped $35 billion, surpassing the previous year's record. So, Despite the strained relations with China, Iowans attending the meeting with Xi are going into the event with optimism. Another of the dinner guests, Ken Quinn, former U.S. ambassador to Cambodia and former president of the Des Moines-based World Food Prize, a post Branstad now holds, was already in San Francisco on Tuesday. Gwen said that the U.S. and China have the opportunity to work together to meet what he calls the world's biggest challenge, providing enough food for billions of people not only in China, but in many developing nations. The two nations compete to influence. Excuse me. Every time I've spoken in China and in the U.S., I stress there's an opportunity for China and the U.S. to work together to uplift Africa and Earth, he said. I've urged the two presidents to announce that they were going to have just such a relationship aimed at upgrading rural roads, farm-to-market roads in Africa, because that's the key. Quinn said transportation infrastructure was essential to the development of Iowa and the U.S. in general, and in easing China's poverty, too. It was building all those farm-to-market roads. So no technology to be stolen there, no national security, but it's something China and the U.S. can do and should do together, he said. And I believe if collaboration like that were to be announced at the meeting tomorrow, it would be a big headline and would move the two countries' relationship in a more positive direction. Quinn and Branstad said both the U.S. and China have an existential stake at reducing worldwide food insecurity. Hungry people don't sit still. They move across borders. They move to go and find food. Go where food is, Quinn said. And so it's in our great interest and in China's great interest that the world remain peaceful and stable. And I believe the way to do that is through agriculture. Also sitting at the dinner table will be Lucia Barone, the Des Moines businessman who spearheaded the unlikely relationship between eastern Iowa and the man who now holds sway in Beijing. It was Barone, an Italian immigrant, who set the wheels in motion back in 1983 by forging a partnership through the Iowa Sister States Program with Dubai Parvance, which, like Iowa, counts corn and soybeans among its major crops. In his Muscatine-centered stay in 1985, these experiences included riding a boat on the Mississippi and climbing aboard some of Iowa's massive farm machinery. But it was what Barone called a glitch in the first visit that he said sealed Z's bonds with the state and ended up with him revisiting Iowa in 2012, just before becoming China's president. During the first visit, he recalled the only hotel available in Muscatine was all booked up. So I reached out to Sarah Lande, who was on the Iowa Sisters States Committee, and I asked if it was possible to organize homestays for the Chinese delegation, and she was able to contact a few families that were interested. And it turned out those homestays were a turning point in building those long-term friendships, Barney said. He, Branstad, and Gwen all pointed out that Z has said that when he thinks of America, he remembers those friendships he made when he was an unknown party official. Gwen recalls a dinner held at the Iowa Capitol during Z's 2012 visit to Iowa. And there, in the middle of his toast, President Z. Ping diverted from the script and started speaking about his memories of Muscatine from 1985. And he quoted Mark Twain, and he spoke about his memories of seeing the sun over the Mississippi. And it was so poignant. It was so moving, Quinn said. I remember sitting there saying, wow, I've never ever heard a foreign leader speak about our country, about my country that way. And that, that visit in Muscatine, really, had a significant impact.
1: Lives of TikTok post leads to extra security at a Des Moines school. Des Moines Public Schools has increased security after a teacher's joke last week about forcing students to be gay went viral on social media, prompting a barrage of complaints and threats. The post featured a district employee posing in front of what appears to be a large mirror in a classroom with a caption, Every day is another opportunity to force kids in public schools to be gay. Because of harassment and even threats triggered because of an employee's social media post, we have had to increase our public safety presence at a school and notify law enforcement, said Phil Roeder, the district spokesperson. Officials have not named the school. The threats came after social media accounts for libs for tiktok run by far-right influencer Chaya Rejcik, posted screenshots Friday from the staff member's social media post with the caption, This is an actual elementary school teacher in at-DM schools. Several commenters called for the staff member to be fired. Des Moines Superintendent Ian Roberts released a statement Friday addressing the unidentified staff member's post and ensuing controversy. This was a poor attempt at humor and sarcasm, Roberts wrote, and as we know, attempts at humor and sarcasm, especially online, can easily be misunderstood. The employee was wrong to make this post, has realized it was a mistake, and has removed it. The district's personnel office has been tasked with working with the employee, he said. This shouldn't need to be said, but perhaps it must, our schools and teachers are focused on providing a quality education to our students, which does not include encouraging or forcing any student to identify with any specific sexual orientation, Robert said. The Des Moines Education Association declined to comment on the situation because it is a personnel matter, instead referring the Des Moines Register to Robert's statement. District officials said they are taking ongoing harassment generated by the Libs of TikTok posts seriously. Quote, from staffing to technology to training, DMPS invests a great deal of resources to assure the safety and well-being of our students and staff, Router said. In this situation, we are not taking anything for granted. In light of the well-documented disruption this anti-GBTQ group has triggered elsewhere around the country. Last school year, the Des Moines School Board approved doubling school security spending, setting aside $13 million as part of its $610 million budget. This is not the first time Libs of TikTok has brought widespread scrutiny to an Iowa school district. Last year, a post led to the removal of a controversial book from Sioux City Community School District. In 2022, the social media account released pictures and videos from an unauthorized drag show in Ankeny High School. School officials, students, and performers faced harassment following the incident.
0: Turning over now to the Metro and Iowa section, our headlines in today's paper. With Scott out, which candidates will benefit? Article, Family Community Recall, Couple Killed in Accident. Haley reveals new endorsers from Iowa after debate, and where to find free Thanksgiving meals in the Des Moines area. I'll start out with Scott out, which candidates benefit. Iowa poll shows little change in Republican dynamic. Republican presidential candidates may be eager to pick up Tim Scott's former supporters now that the U.S. senator has ended his bid for the White House. But results from the latest Des Moines Register, NBC News, Mediacom, Iowa poll show that Scott's exit from the race likely will do little to shake up the field in Iowa. Scott finished in fourth place in the most recent poll conducted on October 22nd through the 26th with 7% of likely Republican caucus goers saying he was their first choice for president. Among those who named Scott as their first choice, 28% said Trump was their second choice. 25% said it would be former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. And 23% said Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was their second choice. Moreover, removing Scott from the poll and reallocating his supporters to their second-choice candidates does little to change the overall dynamic of the race. Trump would still lead with 45%, up from 43% when Scott was in the race. And both Haley and DeSantis would remain tied with 18%. They were tied at 16 percent with Scott in the race. Scott made the surprise announcement on November 12th during an interview with Fox News' Trey Gowdy. Quote, I love America more today than I did on May 22nd, but when I go back to Iowa, I will not be as, it will not be, excuse me, as a presidential candidate. I am suspending my campaign, Scott said. Scott had promised to go all-in on Iowa, shifting his entire campaign apparatus to the state as he sought to stabilize a flailing operation. He had committed to campaigning in Iowa every week following the most recent GOP presidential debate. But on November 10th, two days before he ultimately ended his campaign, Scott cut short a planned Iowa campaign swing, saying he had come down with the flu. He did not immediately endorse another candidate.
1: Haley reveals new endorsers from the Iowa, from Iowa after the debate. Fresh off a third well-received debate performance, Nikki Haley is unveiling dozens of endorsements in Iowa as she fights to distinguish herself as a top alternative to Donald Trump ahead of the January 15th Republican caucuses. According to the latest Des Moines Register, NBC News, Mediacom, Iowa poll, the former president leads field with 43 percent of likely Republican caucus scores naming him as her first choice for president. Haley is tied in a distant second place with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at 16 percent, though she is the only candidate showing substantial upward momentum. She gained 10 percentage points over her August Iowa poll, sh- poll showing. Among the 72 Iowans endorsing her are former political operatives, such as David Ullman, who served as Chief of Staff for former Governors Robert Ray and Terry Branstad. Also endorsing are Doug Gross, a lawyer and former Branstad Chief of Staff, and Christine Hensley, who was the longest-serving member of the Des Moines City Council. Quote, often our best presidents have been governors, Holman said in a statement. I like to support governors, proven winners who lead, who assemble a great team, who manage and get things done. We've had some good and former governors in this race. Now, only one also brings serious foreign policy experience at a critical time, with threats in both hemispheres. Current State Representatives Jane Bloomingdale and Brian Locia are endorsing Haley, along with former State Representative Carmen Boyle and former State Senator Bob Brookhurst. Former State Senator and U.S. Ambassador to Barbados, Mary Kramer, is also endorsing. In addition... The list includes a number of Des Moines business leaders, including Steve Lacey, the former CEO of Meredith, Don Lamberti, the founder of Casey's General Stores, Mike Ralston, President of Iowa Association of Business and Industry, Lynette Rasmussen, CEO of Rasmussen Group, and Bill Friedman, the former CEO of Yonkers. The endorsements come as a battle between Haley and DeSantis heats up in Iowa, and after DeSantis nabbed a coveted endorsement from Republican Governor Kim Reynolds. They also come as the field begins to narrow more dramatically. Former Vice President Mike Pence ended his campaign in October, and U.S. Senator Tim Scott, who had been polling in fourth place, dropped out November 12th. Quote, as Nikki continues to command the debate stage and spread her message of a strong and proud America, the more Iowans rally to her side. Hoof Cooksey, the campaign's Iowa advisor, said in a statement. Two months from the caucuses, Team Haley continues to grow day by day, and her momentum is stronger than ever, end quote. Haley's campaign announced in October it would begin expanding its Iowa footprint by adding staff and opening a Clive office location. <coughs> and on November 13th, it said it will book $10 million in TV, radio, Hampshire, beginning in the first week of December, in an effort to overtake DeSantis. The DeSantis campaign has trained its ire on Haley as well. Quote, as Americans look behind the curtain, they will see she does not have the extensive record of conservative achievements that Ron DeSantis boasts. DeSantis Communications Director Andrew Romeo said in a statement, It's clear that is, there is no way Nikki Haley can beat Donald Trump, and every dollar spent on her candidacy is an in-kind political con- contribution to the Trump campaign.
0: Family community recall couple killed in accident. Layman's remembered as kind, loving, and generous. A daughter is grieving after her mother and father died in a collision with a teen driver on their way home from church Sunday, but she says she's taking a cue from her parents and is working on forgiveness. I know my parents would have loved him, Lindsay Layman said of her parents, Fred and Mary Layman of Des Moines. I know they would have forgiven him. Fred Earl Lehman, 76, and his wife Mary Louise Lehman, 79, were killed Sunday night when they turned north onto East 27th Street from East University Avenue, and their 1999 Buick Century collided with a 2011 Camaro driven by an 18-year-old driving west on University Avenue. The Layman's vehicle hit a utility pole before flipping, according to a Des Moines Police Department news release. ''Witnesses and evidence point to the Camaro traveling at a high rate of speed,'' police said. ''You know, there are some things that are worse than death,'' Lindsay Layman said. ''I know that we are suffering as a family, but we are grieving for this young man because I know he's going to carry it for the rest of his days. I wouldn't wish that on anybody.'' Fred and Mary were married for 57 years with four children, 11 grandchildren, and five great grandchildren. They spent the last 35 years in Des Moines. They just met their newest great great grandson this week, Lindsay Lehman said. His father is actually deployed in South Korea, and his mom was in Vegas statewide, so she flew here this past week to introduce the baby to everybody so they got to meet him. Both Fred and Mary fostered a home of compassion and understanding. My parents worked with the homeless, but my parents home the homeless as well, Lindsay Lehman said. We always had someone living in our home growing up who was either elderly or who was homeless. Our home was always open. Fred and Mary were retired with a job, according to their daughter. My parents actually cared for a man named Paul who was intellectually disabled, she said. So that's what my parents have been doing since my dad retired. Fred and Mary were probably the most generous people I've ever met, said David Hedley, Mary's brother-in-law. Fred essentially never knew a stranger, Hedley said. He was always talking to strangers, always helping out people. He gave a lot of money away when you really couldn't afford to simply just because he wanted to help people. His focus was on other people more than himself, and he's probably the most loving person that I've ever known. Fred worked his entire life in the church as a missionary or as a pastor. Fred instilled the values of the church in his family, taking them to the Philippines in 1986 to work as missionaries. After civil unrest made it unsafe for the layman's to continue their mission, they returned to the States, ending up permanently in Des Moines in 1988. My dad is the man that taught me how to love people, Lindsay Layman said. My dad is the man who taught me how to give. My dad knew that he needed forgiveness more than anyone he knew, and he taught me the same about myself. Known as Mama Mary by the Iowa State Bar Association, Mary Lehman worked nearly 20 years in the office as an administrative assistant. She was devoted to her colleagues as well as members of the association and always made visitors to the Bar Association offices feel welcome. She was especially fond of members of the Young Lawyers Division, or YLD, whom she treated like extended family, the Iowa State Bar Association said in a statement to the Register. They were grateful for her investment in their careers and personal lives as well, as evidenced by the numerous holiday cards and pictures of their families and children she continued to receive years after they had aged out of the YLD. Treating the YLT as extended family, Mary was the glue that held everything together, Hedley said. My mom was a saint, Lindsay said. She was just a good woman and just pure. She just had a pure heart. Even with the circumstances of the accident, Lindsay Lehman said she is reminded that of what her parents would have done. Forgive. We all make stupid decisions in our life, especially when we're teenagers, she said. We don't know all the details, and even when they all come together, I know that he will regret it. Fred and Mary lived by the virtue of kindness and understanding. It was always about loving people, Lindsay Layman said. It's easy when someone passes away to put them on a pedestal and make them grandiose, she said. They knew that they were human. They knew why they needed Jesus in their life. And they knew that they were sinners. And they knew that they needed forgiveness. That's why we love, because we're the same, because that's what we all need.
1: Where to find free Thanksgiving meals in the Des Moines area. With food prices rising, central Iowans may find themselves stuck in a financial bind, especially as the holiday season draws near. Grocery prices have gone up roughly 17% in the last two years, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics the Food Bank of Iowa and the Des Moines Area Religious Council set historical records this summer with the amount of staple items distributed to pantries and the number of pantry visitors. Both entities cited soaring inflation rates and the stagnant minimum wages as the main reason why many Iowans are strapped for cash. The Farm Bureau recently said a classic Thanksgiving feast for 10 for 10, cost $64.05 in 2022. A 20% jump from 2021's average of $53.31. Nonprofit, faith, and community leaders in the Des Moines metro know that people are strapped for cash and here, here to help provide some relief. Here's a list of places hosting free Thanksgiving meals this November. The Catholic Charities Food Pantry, In partnership with St. Pius X Parish in Urbandale, Catholic Charities will distribute hundreds of turkeys and other holiday meats, plus sides including bread, vegetables, dehydrated potatoes, milk, and a dessert during its annual Giving Thanksgiving event, November 15th and November 16th. The event runs from 10 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. both days, while supplies last at 1815 East Hubble Avenue. St. Pius X has donated 450 turkeys for the event. The Children Family Urban Movement will be serving free grab-and-go Thanksgiving meals from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. November 16th at Trinity United Methodist Church, 1548 8th Street in Des Moines. No reservations are necessary. Meals are available to anyone in need and can be picked up in the church's basement. The nonprofit's Supper Club which offers free meals from 4 to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday to community members, will be available during the week of Thanksgiving, except on Thanksgiving Day and the Friday after. Living Waters Fellowship will host its Thanksgiving giveaway event 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on November 18th. Located at 3000 Southeast 22nd Street in Des Moines, Living Waters plans on serving 1,200 free two free go meals for guests. Patrons also will have access to free winter clothes, which include sizes for infants, children, and adults, and baby essentials provided by the Alpha Women's Center. The Heart for Des Moines and Living Waters counseling program will offer free resources. Parks Community returns with its Thanksgiving Day tradition at Chuck's Restaurant in Des Moines. On November 23rd, the local nonprofit is offering free holiday meals from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Chuck's at 3166th Avenue, and it's first-come, first-served for diners. Parks Community also is accepting orders for free carryouts or deliveries at 515-875-5229. Deliveries are restricted to the Des Moines area residents and will take place from 9.30 a.m. to 1.00 p.m. Pickups will be available at Chuck's Restaurant between 11 a.m. and 1.00 p.m. Reservations for delivery or carry meals are available now until they reach capacity. Eastside Cluster Churches returns with a lunch event on Thanksgiving Day. Free hop meals will be served between 1130 a.m. and 1 p.m. at St. Joseph's Catholic Church and School 3300 Eastern Boulevard in Des Moines. Attendees can dine in, take their meals to go, or have their meals delivered to their homes. Reservations can be made by calling 515-943-2519 from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and will be accepted until November 20th. Guests with carry-on orders can pick theirs up pick up their meals from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. at the school gym. Deliveries will be made between 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. and only to residents who live on the east side of Des Moines, Altoona, or Pleasant Hill. And Do Good Des Moines, in a partnership with For All Kids, Do Good Des Moines is hosting the fourth annual winter warmth event on November 23rd. Hailed from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. at the Fred Maytag Scout Center, patrons can grab free meals from Hot Tamale Catering. Tamales, chicken pozole, baked and fried chicken legs, and various desserts are on the menu. The Fred Maytag Scout Center is located at 6123 Scout Trail in Des Moines. Do Good also is providing free winter clothes and accessories. The Waukee Area Christian Services while well, the application deadline has passed for the Waukee Area Christian Services Thanksgiving box, the non food pantry will be open to Dallas County or Waukee Community School District residents during the holiday week. The pantry is at 1155 Southeast Boone Drive in Waukee and will be open on November 20th from noon to 6 p.m., November 21st, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., and November 22nd from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. The pantry will be closed on November 23rd and through the weekend. First-time visitors must bring ID for each member of the household, proof of residency, such as a utility bill or rental lease agreement, and if possible, their own reasonable bags. The nonprofit is accepting applications from those interested in receiving a Christmas food box and children's gifts until November 29th. The box is pre-assembled with various food and personal care items. For more information or to apply, visit the Waukee Area Christian Services at org slash seasonal programs. And the Urbandale Food Pantry. Turkeys are available at the Urbandale Food Pantry and to clients who have not received items from another Des Moines Area Religious, religious Council food pantry in the last month. Clients must bring a form of identification for all family members served. A photo ID is required for anyone in the household who is 18 and older. Normal pantry operation hours are from 9.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. Monday through Thursday and 8 a.m. to noon on Saturdays. The pantry will be open 9.30 a.m. to noon November 22nd and closed on Thanksgiving Day and through the weekend.
0: I have three short articles here that will wrap up the Metro and Iowa section. Our first one, new name and logo unveiled for the Iowa Board of Regents. The governing body of Iowa's public universities has changed its name and logo to better reflect its mission and duties. The State Board of Regents announced Monday it had changed its name from Board of Regents State of Iowa to Iowa Board of Regents. According to the news release, and announcing the change, the new logo reflects more than 100 years of steering Iowa's public higher education institutions and its service to the state and those in it. Following the departure of the Iowa School for the Deaf and the Iowa Educational Services for the Blind and Visually Impaired, the Board of Regents has focused on delivering high-quality higher education opportunities for Iowans, the release said. The new name and logo reflect the board's mission to produce and disseminate knowledge, prepare students to make positive contributions to society, and to serve the state of Iowa to expand opportunities. Earlier this year, the Iowa Educational Services for the Blind and Visually Impaired and the Iowa School for the Deaf were moved under the governance of the Iowa Department of Education as part of Governor Kim Reynolds' government reorganization plan, with the reasoning that it would be better for them to be placed alongside Iowa's other K-12 schools. Article, Woman Dies from Apparent Stab Wounds at Des Moines Hospital. A woman died of apparent stab wounds suffered at a Des Moines hotel early Tuesday morning. Police responded to the Econolodge Inn and Suites at the fairgrounds at 410 East 30th Street at about 2.30 a.m. to investigate a report of a stabbing, according to a news release. They found the woman suffering multiple traumatic injuries believed to be stab wounds. The news release said, She was taken to the hospital in critical condition, but later died. Police later charged Brantley Austin Cage Rainey, 24, of Des Moines, with first-degree murder. A news release from Sergeant Paul Prusik said Rainey allegedly was in the room where the victim was discovered and had a knife with the apparent blood on it. Rainey also allegedly matched the witness description. Police believe there was no ongoing danger or threat to the neighborhood, the release said. Victim's name will be released pending family notification. This is the 13th homicide of 2023 in Des Moines. And ghost tour company to buy Iowa house known for murders. A ghost tour company is under contract to buy a house in Vilskala, Vilska, excuse me, where a family of six and their two visitors were bludgeoned to death in their sleep in the 1910s. U.S. Ghost Adventures, a tourism company that is known for their ghost tours, is underway to buy a small southwest Iowa home that has been dubbed the Velisca Axe Murder House, 508 East 2nd Street, company officials said Wednesday. This will be the company's third and reportedly haunted location available for tours and overnight stays. The Velisca Axe Murders, one of the most heinous crimes in the state's history, took place overnight on June 9th of 1912. It remains unsolved despite years of investigation, multiple grand jury hearings, a slander lawsuit, and a murder trial, according to the Iowa Cold Cases blog. The bodies of Joshua and Sarah Moore, their four children and two visiting girls, were found in the Moore home in Villisca, a Montgomery County town located about 100 miles southwest of Des Moines. Joshua was a prominent businessman and a well-known church worker in town, according to the reporting from the former Des Moines Tribune. The children were identified as Herman Moore, 11, Catherine Moore, 10, Boyd Moore, 7, Paul Moore, 5, Lena Stillinger, 12, and Ina Stillinger, 8, who were visiting the family and were the daughters of J.T. Stillinger, a wealthy farmer living southeast of Villisca. According to the report from the Tribune, the victims were killed with an axe, the killer or killers found in the family's backyard while they slept sometime around or after midnight. The family had spent the evening at a program at the local Presbyterian church and returned home at around 10 p.m. Those interested in staying in the infamous Villisca House can book their overnight stay in January starting at $500, according to the U.S. Ghost Adventures website. The overnight stay lasts from 6 p.m. until 9 a.m.
1: And returning to national and world news, Asians and Pacific Islanders face abuse. Despite ongoing advocacy and legislation to combat anti-Asian racism that arose after the pandemic, about a third of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders say they have experienced an act of abuse based on their race or ethnicity in the last year, including being on the receiving end of verbal harassment, slurs, physical threats, or cyber a new poll from the API data in the Associated Press-Nork Center for Public Affairs Research finds 15% of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders specifically say they believe they have, at some point, been the victim of a hate crime. About half, 51%, believe racism is an extremely or very serious problem in the U.S. From as early as a decade ago to as recently as two weeks ago, Jennifer Lee, A 29-year-old Filipino-American in San Diego can recall being called racial slurs and being discriminated against. She recently interviewed for a job at a tutoring service. The interviewer assumed Lee was Japanese and said, you people are always so obedient. Why? That's so pathetic, she shared. About two in 10 Asian-Americans and Pacific Islanders, 23%, say they have experienced being verbally harassed or abused in the last year and 22% have been called a racial or ethnic slur. About 1 in 10 say they they have been physically assaulted or threatened physically. About a third of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders say they often or sometimes face discrimination because of their race or ethnicity when applying for jobs. Last month, the FBI reported an overall 7% increase in hate crimes, even as the agency's data showed anti-Asian incidents in 2022 were down 33% from 2021. That seeming contradiction doesn't surprise Stephanie Chan, Director of Data and Research at Stop AAPI Hate, an advocacy group. We know that Asian Americans are among the most likely to not report the crime that they've experienced, Chen said. It's really sobering to see that even when the world seems to have returned to normal after the pandemic, these levels are still really elevated in terms of anti-Asian American hate. The poll also shows President Joe Biden gets mediocre ratings from Asian Americans, who viewed him favorably at 52%. That's still higher than U.S. adults overall, who view the president favorably at 44% in a June AP NORK poll. Vice President Kamala Harris, who is of Asian American and African American descent, is also seen favorably by about half, or 47%, of Asian Americans. Quote, Asian Americans are really no different than the national mood, which is that very Biden favorability is low, said Natalie Masuka, professor of political science and Asian American studies at UCLA. The relatively lower favorability for Biden actually could impact turnout at lower level offices, end quote. Still, former President Donald Trump, who is seeking a rematch with Biden, fares even worse than the current commander-in-chief. With seven in tens, they, they are have, say they have an unfavorable opinion of Trump. No current Republican candidate asked about in the poll is viewed favorably by more than one in four. While two candidates of Indian descent, Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley, both remain largely unknown by at least four in ten Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Thomas Lee of Long Island, New York, Fears that the possibility of Trump getting elected again could lead to an increase in discrimination and hate crimes. His followers are typically more of the like, very far radical right. They don't mesh well with minorities, Tom Slee said. Of course, it's got to be dependent on him becoming president. But that is kind of in the direction where I feel like it's very likely that that's something going to happen. The 42-year-old Taiwanese American switched from Republican to Democrat before the 2020 presidential election, partly due to the anti-Asian sentiment he attributed to Trump. In the first year of the pandemic, Thomas Lee felt as if he needed protection every time he and his family went out. He also has unease about Biden's age, but would rather have him than Trump in the White House. But Tia Davis, a 26-year-old Pacific Islander and black California resident, downplayed the idea that people like her face significant racism and praised Trump. As a person of Samoan descent, she said the worst other Samoans have to endure is healthy teasing. Beyond that, Davis, who switched from Democrat to Republican after Trump was elected, said she wants a president who is a smart businessman. How presidents deal with racism and hate crimes is not a crucial factor. I'm more concerned about feeding my family, she said. The survey shows how AAPI communities' perceptions of liberal discrimination runs along political party lines. Democrats are more likely than Republicans to say that Asian Americans and other people of color face a great deal or quite a bit of discrimination, and that white Americans do not. Overall, the poll shows that about half of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders identify as Democrats and about a quarter lean Republicans.
0: Report ID's climate change villains, us. Heat waves, disasters linked to high CO2 levels. Climate change is prompting unprecedented actions in every state to curb the greenhouse gas emissions fueling warming temperatures. But a new federal report out Tuesday says bigger, bolder steps are needed. The massive fifth national climate assessment describes the impacts Americans will see if further action is not taken. It draws on several years of work by more than 500 authors from every state, from Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, and Guam. Without deeper cuts in global net greenhouse gas emissions and accelerated adaptation efforts, several climate risks to the United States will continue to grow, the report states. Each additional increment of warming is expected to lead to more damage and greater economic losses. The assessment includes more evidence than ever before to demonstrate the cause and effects of the charging or excuse me changing climate, said L Ruby Luing, one of its authors. All the impacts people are feeling, like sea level rise and extreme weather events are tied to the global warming level, to how the warm the earth becomes, said Luing, a climate scientist at the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. And that depends very much on the level of CO2 concentration in the atmosphere. However, greater reductions in carbon emissions could reduce the risk and impacts and have immediate health and economic benefits, the report states. It's important for us to recognize that how much climate change we will be experiencing in the future depends on the choices that we make now, Boeing said. President Joe Biden is expected to announce more than $6 billion to bolster the electric grid, update water infrastructure, reduce flooding, and advance environmental justice. In related news, the United Nations released its latest analysis of national climate plans Tuesday morning and found them strikingly misaligned with science. The chasm between the need and action is more menacing than ever, says Secretary General Antonio Guterres. It's time for a climate ambition supernova in every country, city, and sector. So what are the effects of climate change? Changes in the climate are apparent in every region of the country, among the noted effects. Millions are experiencing more extreme heat, including longer heat waves. The number of nights with low temperatures at or above 70 degrees has increased in every corner of the country except the northern Great Plains and Alaska. Heavier precipitation events are increasing everywhere except Hawaii and the Caribbean. Sea levels are increasing along most of the coast, with the exception of Oregon, Washington, and Alaska. In the 1980s, the country experienced a $1 billion disaster every four months on average. Now it's one every three weeks. This year, the country set a new record with $25 billion disasters. Let's read that again. This year, the country set a new record with $25 billion disasters. Climate scientists say 2023 is almost certain to be the globe's warmest year in recorded human history. The global mean temperature through October was more than 2.5 degrees Fahrenheit above the pre-industrial average. This assessment is most notable for the certainty scientists have gained about warming and its impact, says Ling. In prior reports, scientists often hedged. Now it's definitive, she said. The warming observed starting from the 1900s has been caused by human activities. Another key development is that scientists reduced by 50% the uncertainty in how much temperatures will rise if the concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere doubles, she said. In previous assessments, that number ranged between 2.7 and 8 degrees. With well, thanks to improvements in instrumental observation, satellite data, the study of paleoclimate and computer modeling, scientists have amassed more evidence giving them more certainty. Now we can say that the global warming that is caused by a doubling of the CO2 in the atmosphere should be between 4.5 degrees Fahrenheit and 7.2 degrees Fahrenheit. Efforts to adapt to climate change, reduce net carbon greenhouse gas emissions and be more energy efficient are underway in every U.S. region and have expanded since 2018, the report concludes. Greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S. fell 12 percent between 2005 and 2019, mostly driven by changes in the way electricity is produced, the assessment found. The nation burns less coal and more natural gas, which is cleaner. Due to the electrical industry's 40% reduction in emissions, the transportation sector became the industry with the most emissions. Growth in the capacity of wind, solar, and battery storage is supported by falling costs of those technologies, which ultimately means even more emission reductions, the report states. However, while options for cleaner technologies and lower energy use, use have expanded, the authors found they aren't happening fast enough for the nation to achieve a carbon-neutral energy system. Without deeper cuts in global net greenhouse gas emissions and accelerated adaption efforts, the scientists found severe climate risk to the United States will continue to grow. Each additional increment of warming is expected to lead to more damage and greater economic losses compared to previous increments of warming. The risk of catastrophic consequences also increases. But the report also finds that reducing greenhouse gas emissions and removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere can limit future warming and the associated increase in many risks and bring immediate health and economic benefits.
1: Palestinians urge evacuating hospital. Palestinian authorities on Tuesday called for a ceasefire to evacuate three dozen newborns and other patients trapped inside Gaza's biggest hospital as Israeli forces battle Hamas in the streets just outside and seize more ground across northern Gaza. For days, the Israeli army has encircled Shifa Hospital, determined to seize a facility it says Hamas hides in and beneath to use citizens as shields for its main command base. Hospital staff in Hamas deny the complaint. Meanwhile, hundreds of patients, staff, and displaced people are trapped inside with supplies dwindling and without electricity to run incubators and other life-saving equipment. With refrigeration out for days, staff on Tuesday were digging a mass grave in the yard for more than 120 bodies in the morgue, health, in the morgue, health officials said. Six weeks into the war, the standoff at Shifa and other hospitals comes as Israeli forces control larger swaths of Gaza City and the surrounding northern part of the Gaza Strip, saying they are driving out and killing Hamas fighters. Israel has vowed to crush Hamas' rule in Gaza after the militants' October 7th surprise attack into Israel, in which they killed some 1,200 people and dragged roughly 240 hostages back to Gaza. But even as its troops control more of a devastated North Gaza, the Israeli government has acknowledged it doesn't know what it will do with the territory after Hamas' defeat. The onslaught, one of the world's deadliest and most intense bombardments this century, has been disastrous for Gaza's 2.3 million Palestinians. More than 11,000 people, two-thirds of them women and minors, have been killed, according to the Hamas-run Health Ministry in Gaza, which has been unable to update its figures since Friday, citing the difficulty in collecting information. About 2,700 people have been reported missing. The ministry's count does not differentiate between civilian and militant deaths. Almost the entire population of Gaza has squeezed into the northern two-thirds of the tiny territory, where conditions have been deteriorating even as bombardment there continues. About 200,000 fled north in recent days amid the intensifying fighting, the UN humanitarian office said Tuesday. Tens of thousands are believed to remain in the north. Hamas released a video Monday showing one of the hostages, who identified herself as 19-year-old Noah Marciano, before and after she was killed and what Hamas said was an Israeli strike. The military later declared her a fallen soldier without identifying a, a cause of death. She is the first hostage confirmed to have died in captivity. Four were released by Hamas and a fifth was rescued by Israeli forces. Fighting has raged for days around Shifa Hospital, a complex several city blocks across at the center of Gaza City. That has now turned into a cemetery, its director said in a statement. The health ministry said 40 patients, including three babies, have died since Shifa's emergency generator ran out of fuel Saturday. Another 36 babies are at risk of dying because there is no power for incubators, according to the ministry. The Israeli military said it had started an effort to transfer incubators to Shifa, but they would be useless with electricity, said Christian Ludmire, a spokesman for the World Health Organization. He said the only way to save the newborns was to move them out of Gaza. Another hospital under siege or under attack is not a viable solution. Nowhere is safe in Gaza right now, he said. He said an evacuation would require specialized equipment and a ceasefire along the route. The Health Ministry has proposed evacuating the hospital with the supervision of the International Committee of the Red Cross and transferring the patients to hospitals in Egypt, but has not received any response from Ministry Spokesman Hashid Ashif al said. Well, Israel said it is willing to allow staff and patients to evacuate. Some Palestinians who have made it out say Israeli forces have fired at evacuees. UN and Palestinian health officials say it is too dangerous to move the most vulnerable patients without proper ambulances and equipment. Israel says its claims of a Hamas command center in and beneath Shifa are based on intelligence, but has not provided visual evidence to support them. Denying the claims, Gaza Health Ministry said it has invited international organizations to investigate the facility. On Monday, the military released footage of a children's hospital in Gaza City that its forces entered over the weekend, showing weapons it said it found inside, as well as rooms in the basement where it believes militants were holding hostages. The video showed what appeared to be a hastily installed toilet and ventilation system in the basement. The health ministry rejected the allegations, saying the industry, the area, had been turned into a shelter for displaced people. Israel said it has killed several thousand fighters, including important mid-level commanders, while 46 of its own soldiers have been killed in Gaza. The military says Hamas has lost control in the north, and in recent days, Hamas' rocket fire into Israel, constant throughout the war, has waned. Details of the Israeli account and the extent of Hamas losses, however, could not be independently confirmed.